I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we kick off this episode of Headstrong, I want to talk to you about my series sponsor, Green Chef. Now, if you're anything like me, you are always on the go and rarely have time to even think about eating healthy, let alone going to the shop, picking out the right ingredients and then getting home and devoting loads of time to cooking these meals. Luckily, Green Chef are one step ahead. They deliver your ingredients and step-by-step recipe cards directly to your door making it the easiest and most convenient way to keep healthy eating habits on track. Green Chef offers a wide variety of delicious recipes each week, with options including keto, vegan, flexitarian, lower carb and vegetarian diets. Even better, all of these recipes contain one or more of your five a day. What an absolute bonus. Green Chef recipes are developed and approved by qualified nutritionists, so you can relax knowing that your meals align with your dietary needs and lifestyle. So, get 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with the code HEADSTRONG. That's HEADSTRONG for 40% off your first box and 20% off your next three boxes with Green Chef. And welcome to another episode of Headstrong. You're listening with me, Louis Strong, and this is season seven. Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a variety of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But notably, I want to talk to them about their vulnerabilities so I can understand what the word headstrong means to them. On today's episode is actor Joe Latrulio. Now, Joe is most famous for his role of Charles Boyle in the hit TV series Brooklyn Nine-Nine, available on Netflix right now. But he's also just tried his hand as a first-time director with a film coming out soon this year, which we go into depth about. We also talk about his imposter syndrome as an actor and often feeling that he isn't good enough to be in the place that he is. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Joe, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you on a Tuesday morning in Los Angeles? Uh, uh, I'm wonderful. I'm very, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking. No, it's an absolute pleasure. So we were just chatting before we, we commenced this episode. I'm really excited Mm -hmm. to get you on, not only as a fan of your amazing work and being a part of one of my favorite shows but to hear your wisdom of years under the belt as an actor and an industry Uh leader (laughs) 
and now director and producer no less okay. yeah it's exciting i'm very i'm very um i'm very excited about it it's a big uh, uh chapter change here for me uh after brooklyn 99 being done and and leaping into uh being a first-time filmmaker it's all very exciting and scary which is great i uh, kind of like that 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 kind of area to be in and the first uncertainty first understand this i suppose it stems from your fascination as a child and i want to understand where this all sparked from uh when you were younger so where did this love of performance and performing come from as a child I I think um, part of it is being Irish and Italian, um, lots of cousins and lots of gatherings and lots of humor um, and wanting attention in these large groups. <laughs> and um, uh, humor was always a big part of growing up. Um, my family just just loved telling stories and jokes. And uh, I, I think it began there. And I always loved uh movies and um and and i think a lot of the performance was hey i want to i want to be i want to do that that looks like fun um so i just always came naturally to me i always had a lot of energy um i was i've been restless for as long as i, I remember and i think i've i've channeled that into performance and creating and trying to be an artist yeah absolutely yeah before comedy yeah. Am I right in saying that you had a fascination, particularly when you were younger, in horror? I did. I did. Yeah, I was just actually, I'm really excited because I, uh, it, it appears I might be able to get this movie that I did, uh, some press in Fangoria, which was a magazine that I adored growing up. And I was just trying to write an article for it explaining that question, where did this come from? And, you know, I, I remember I read a lot of Stephen King. Um, I... Uh, you know, Cronenberg's The Brood made a big uh, impact on me as a child. And uh, I was always fascinated with macabre um, and, and blood and gore and special effects. And I think it, it, it began there. I loved, I've always loved to be scared. I never, um, I never found it particularly uh, uh, off-putting or uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I just really enjoyed the genre uh, for that reason as well. Yeah, it's, it's almost like it's done a full circle with this fascination early childhood, and now you've created the outpost, which is going to be amazing. Yeah. I have no doubt. So talk to I, me. Tell me. Tell me some of the some of the gems about outpost. How can you sell it to me in an elevator? Well, oh boy. Well, yeah. Well, it's about a um, <clears throat> it's about a woman who uh, suffers a violent assault and tries to uh, recover uh, uh, by taking a job as a fire lookout, and it doesn't go very well. Um, the isolation and the PTSD start to get to her. But, you know, I, with Outpost, I knew that I wanted to work with my wife. Um, I knew that I wanted to work with friends and I knew I wanted to make it different than um, other movies. And so part of that was where can we shoot this play, this, this movie that would be quite different um, and allow people to be like, how did they, how did they do that? So we decided to pick the top of a mountain, which isn't um, the easiest place <laughs> to shoot a movie. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with um, stories about madness because I feel like um, that's relatable. Who hasn't felt like they were going to lose it every now and then, especially nowadays, I feel it's particularly slippery and, um, you know, I thought, you know, let's, let's dive into that. Let's dive into that idea um, that, you know, being, being hijacked by a nightmare that you're not able to get out of. Um, and so that was one aspect, really kind of exploring um, what happens to a person when their reality starts to slip away from them. Are they even aware of it? Uh, and then the other part of me really loved the idea of kind of sympathizing with the monster for two acts and then suddenly realizing <laughs> the monster is there. So um, you're going to see, you're going to see some terrific um, performances. I was able to work with a lot of terrific friends that I've known for a long time. Um, and um, I don't know, it's always, I haven't really got my, <laughs> my log line down yet, I suppose, but, uh, but I'll say that, uh, that outpost is of the fever dream uh, made by a horror fan is another way to put this movie. And it's incredibly exciting because as I briefly said, it is your di directorial debut into the industry. Yeah. 
How did you find that process, taking that extra job on then? Because it sounds like it was a fascination of yours and something that you wanted to do forever. And finally, you had the opportunity and the platform and indeed the mm. support of friends. Um, and, but I do know that yeah. I think you self-financed it. But let's talk about um, yeah. this, this directing. Well, I, I, was, I, I started making Super 8s at a very young age. And um, I, I think it began there. I, I enjoy collaboration. I found that so much of the successful projects that I've been part of have been collaboration. And that um, begins with the state and, and certainly with Apatow. Certainly the, the, the energy on Paul was similar. Um, and of course, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And, and, and directing, I feel, is uh, a wonderful way to kind of uh, allow everyone's voices to kind of contribute to the idea that, that maybe you started, you know, um, to let people um, rise up, to give people an opportunity to kind of express um, their version of what this story is to them. And I, it's, that's very exciting for me. I, I find that I can be a, a pretty decisive person. Um, I, I, I don't know everything. And I, I like people that come with something um, that bring, uh, bring something to the table. And, uh, and directing was, is a, is a place where you can do that. It's just a place that you can really, uh, bring the best out of, out of everyone. And I, I love doing that. Um, on Outpost, we, we had a few people where this was their first movie on the crew. Um, we had a stunt coordinator. The subject matter is, is pretty delicate. And I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that, um, many women were involved in, a lot of the larger creative departments. Our stunt coordinator had never stunt coordinated until this movie. Um, our our um, production designer had done a couple of movies before that, but this was her first big movie. And so, uh, you know, I think that's important for a filmmaker to do is to allow people to be their best um, and feel like that they, that they're part of this thing. This thing wouldn't really be complete or as special without without their work. Yeah, absolutely right. Whenever whenever I've been involved in productions like that, it's always nice to thrive off other people's work and performances. And particularly when I was working with Nick Frost, um, and no it. no take was the same. And yeah, keeps me on yeah. my toes. And I was just like, well, this is great to watch and be uh, a part of. He's he's brilliant. Both of them. I mean, for me. Um, and we could just circle back to outposts. I suppose we can jump everywhere, but just, you know, working on, on, on Paul, it was, it was one of the biggest uh, jobs of my life. I remember when I got to Santa Fe and, and got in, got my own little bungalow that um, there's a little welcome basket there. And I literally um, went to tears. I was so happy. It was finally something that um, I wanted to um, uh, be part of these guys uh, and Shaun of the dead obviously was a big influence to me. Um, and I just felt very lucky to have been asked to be part of this thing. And, um, and I'll never forget it. Yeah. And, 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 and Nick is, uh, Nick made Bill Hader and I one of the most incredible Sunday lunches in oh. that I've ever had. Um, and it's very clear, um, how much he loves cooking, but, uh, it's a meal that I will never forget. It was delicious. Yeah. I um, always see Nick posting food and he, he seems like a remarkable chef. Uh, well, career. I, I, he is, I can, the, well, you can uh, vouch for it. I can vouch for that for sure. Well, um, yeah. I feel like because you, we've brought it up, we might as well talk about Paul as an experience. Um, yeah. because that double act, with Bill Hader is, in my opinion, just so effortless, but so original and, but so classic at the same time, uh, in all, in all three senses of that. Do you ever bring, um, improvisation into your work? Uh, particularly with something like that, because Bill's so amazing and hilarious. Oh yeah. All the, all the time. I mean, um, in Paul, there was, there was a bit of that, but you know, Simon and Nick, uh, it was a very tight script and, um, they were always rewriting, um, but I think they and Greg Matola, they knew that they trusted uh, us, everyone, the whole cast there. And we were able to bring, um, you know, ideas and, and, and improvisation for sure. Uh, that was the first time I really um, got to know Bill. We had met a couple times before um, 
I worked with Greg Matola, of course, in Superbad. So the mm. and there was plenty of improvisation there. I, I, I love it. I, I you know, in Brooklyn we didn't do a lot of that. The first season we did, and then it was like, okay, none of this ever stays in. We only got twenty two <laughs> minutes. Let's not waste everyone's time. Let's just uh and the jokes, it's a mile a minute, uh that show. It's very dense mm. with the jokes. So there wasn't a lot of room for that. Um but in Paul it was a little different and certainly in Superbad. Um have fond memories of Paul, you know, in addition to O'Reilly, um, you know, Seth uh, Rogen wasn't on set. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, and so I was, I was filling in on my knees and have these knee pads. I have a wonderful little memento that um, production uh, gave me uh, that just uh, has the, two, the knee pads framed, you know. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. It's up on my wall right now. Um, oh, and so you could kind of see it in the back there. Well, our listeners can't, but there's a little white uh, in the back there. Anyway, um, so um, with Paul, it was an experience that once again showed massive amounts of talents, really, really bringing out the best in each other. One hundred percent. Can you remember that fir- the phone call where you were offered the role? Uh, no, I, I, I can't. I remember. I remember I was out with Bill Hader, um, and I know that he had mentioned that he had brought me up to Matola. I don't know, and again, I, I, I really don't know um, how it all came to be. I knew that I was um, that I was being considered. Um, I, I, I just I don't remember it. I, I just remember getting there, and I remember uh, arriving on one of the sound stages. Uh, and meeting Nick and Simon for the first time, um, I think we were shooting some, uh, might have been just some uh, a rehearsal, perhaps. Um, it was it was a, a, a great great moment uh, in in my career. One hundred percent. So now, uh, what I want to do is go back to childhood. I want to talk about school mm-hmm. as an experience for you, because I don't know much about the education system in the states. But I want uh, okay. to know what the opportunities are like at school to express yourself on stage and screen. Ah, uh, I, I see. So, well, I, I was born in Queens, New York, and um, was in the school system there um, just for a little bit. I moved down to Florida mm. um, when I was five years old. And, you know, the public school system there was 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 fine. I was in a, um, a program um, for gifted kids that actually explored a lot of art and uh, wrote a little bit and we did small ske- sketches and um and wrote little plays um took a lot of field trips uh and i think you know i always um i drew a lot i was a big illustrator and um and so um i think my love for for art kind of began with that i was drawing a lot of pictures of sharks um, and bloody limbs, um, that was kind of in my head, uh, I guess from Jaws and, um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and so the school system down there, you know, high school, I was in the high school trauma department. Um, but through the school I found wasn't where I kind of cultivated a lot of that. Most of it was in the neighborhood with friends, like-minded friends who loved comic books and mad magazines and horror movies. And we would, um, grab Super 8 cameras or gigantic, bulky VHS camcorders and, and, and try to do something with it. Um, it, it, it was always very exciting. It just felt very real, like uh, making these movies. It was tangible, you know, and, um, you know, I'd sneak into a movie theater to go see, you know, Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and then, you know, come out and then try to <laughs> recreate a scene, you know, um, so I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but I'm trying to give you an idea of where where this all kind of started for me in mm. terms of my love for creating the school. I was in, like I said, the drama departments, and I started a, a film and TV um, club, I guess, at high school, um, which was a lot of fun. But I think the real um, the real practice was uh, writing. I think it began with writing. I wrote a lot of short stories that were <laughs> basically uh, Stephen King ripoffs because uh, that's all I was reading. So I was kind of regurgitating. Uh, you know, I think I wrote a story about a, 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 a giant rock on a cliff that was haunted that kept somehow getting in people's head and, and making them jump. And so 
Um, I, 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 you know, I, again, this gets back to madness and to get back to outposts, this was, I was always been fascinated with, um, with ideas like that. And so writing was, I think the beginning of, uh, for me of filmmaking in a, in, in a way, just getting those ideas down and, um, and then watching a lot of movies, you know, um, you know, sneaking, when we didn't have cable trying to go over to um, people's houses that, that had cable. And so I could see Piranha or, 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 you know, um, there's a movie called the evictors and um, Craven's deadly blessing, like all these movies that were um, constantly being played uh, on cable. I was just studying. Yeah. Well, I suppose as well, the luxury of today is there's so much content that's being made for young adults to watch. It's so e easy to watch, readily available, even on YouTube for free, let alone the streaming platforms that are available. And for you, yeah. was, actually, I need to get out and just have something in my hand and make I, it. I, I, I get, yeah, I, yeah. And, and Adam, I'm so grateful for that. You know, you know, you, it just kind of taught me to kind of buckle in and, and, just do it. That's the best education is to uh, get out there and do it better than a film education. I had a great, great time at NYU. I met a lot of mm. the people I ended up working with, but ultimately, you know, the best film classes on set and just with friends and pointing cameras and figuring it out. You know. I want to talk about NYU with you. Was it an audition process or was it an application process? Uh, I, uh it was an application. Um, I wrote an essay. Uh, I think I submitted maybe, um, a, a short uh, movie or something I did for that film club that I created. Uh, I think it might've even been kind of a, a David Letterman S type of TV show that I might've submitted. Um, and so when I got accepted, I was thrilled. It was either there or UCLA. I wanted to go back to New York. It's where I was from mm. and um, ended up meeting um, a, a lot of important people um, that remain friends to this day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, yeah. you you forged some incredible friendships, but also mm -hmm. colleagues that you've worked with for years and years and years now. When yeah, I think. Yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say. I think it's important. Um, it's crucial to find your people. You know, I. It, you know, I, I feel that it is necessary in order to take risks, to make leaps, to know that um, people will catch you. I, I find that, especially in doing outpost and the first cut of this movie, you know, you're really sticking your neck out and, and you're very vulnerable. Um, you feel very raw. And so when you take it to your creative, um, to, to, to people that you trust, you want to, you want to trust their agenda. You know, you want to, you want to know, um, that they have the movie and your best interest in mind, um, because it's painful to hear. It's not good. I, you know, I went into a pretty, um, pretty hard, deep dep depression um, after that first cut um, and got a lot of notes. And I was like, I just made <laughs> the biggest mistake of my life. What did I do? You know, and of course, uh, this is part I learned part of the process of of, of of filmmaking where you're like, oh, my God, I think maybe it was Coppola who said something like you'll never uh, love anything more than your dailies and never hate anything more than your first cut or I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. And it, and it's true. And, and so <clears throat> it, I think finding your people is very important. You need to uh, uh, have them to have the confidence to do something that you, that scares you. You're absolutely right. And I think the word that you, you said was trust you really need to trust the people that you're working with and if you're friends with them but trust them and yeah. then work with them that's a real key yeah yeah absolutely so what i wanted to ask you then you were just uh, so you felt felt depressed with after seeing your first guy now i don't i know you probably bounced back and you're happy with your product but talk yes about yeah well yeah i mean it was um it was just a deep dive i think part of it was you know, the movie that you write and the movie that you shoot and the movie that you cut are three different movies. That's, and, and so the movie that I ended up cutting, I thought was communicating or showing something that um, clearly it was not. And I, and I think that um, that was a good lesson to learn because what I found was to kind of look at what, what we had here, what footage did 
was in front of us. And the story that I have, it's yes, that's still there, but now it's going to have to be told in a different, in a different way. So when I say like depressed, I, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I mean, I certainly was downtrodden. Uh, what I mean to say is that uh, like the bubble was burst in a way, like mm-hmm. I, I, I re- like, and that's always scary, right? When you think that you're, you're, you're in one place and you're like, oh, I'm not in uh, New York at all. I somehow um, in Camden, New Jersey. What happened? I thought, it, you know what I mean? Like you just wake up and you're like, oh, oh, wow, I really need to rethink this. So it was, that was the shock to the system that was happening for me on that, in that first cut. Um, for you as well, you were out of your comfort zone because you, you, your directorial debut, it's not often you, you would get to see a first cut. Right. Uh, yeah. I, and, um, and I was wearing a lot of hats. I was wearing, mm. I was wearing a producer and a financier and, a, and you know, I w- didn't want this to be shoved through with, um, with no other feedback or criticisms. I mean, uh, you know, it's a passion project for sure, but I, I wanted it to be grounded in, in, in something other than just what I thought it should be. And so, uh, you know, that was, that was a challenging thing to look in the mirror and be like, Oh, uh, okay. All right. Let's take, let's take another gander at this, you know? You talk about the weight on your shoulders there. You were, as you say, producing, directing, financier. Did it, was it overwhelming for you, that experience of having a pressure on your shoulders? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, there were, there, I had many moments where uh, I had to um, get out a good, uh, uh, get out a good cry, kind of shake and collapse and be like, whoa, I'm really feeling it, you know. It, it it was um it was it was Sisyphus it was what's the word um it was like Sisyphus uh, literally doing this you know, pushing this rock up this mountain you know we're mm. shooting uh, during a pandemic um, this was three years in the making they were like two and and we only had a small window to shoot this movie right because um, you know fire there was fire season we shattered fire tower so um, kind of in June it was really the only window because where we were shooting the snow would come down starting in October and it wouldn't melt until maybe the end of May. And so we only had a a month or two months tops window. So every summer, you know, if, if something went wrong, a pandemic or a, a casting issue or a location problem, we were waiting another year. And like the weight of that, um, of just the reality of, of making a movie like this really started to smother me a bit. Um, because, you know, after a while, you get tired of hearing yourself talk about it. You get tired of hearing yourself, I- I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to make this movie. And uh, you, you, you're like, will I ever make this movie? Will, was it not meant to be, you know? And, uh, you know, that was hard. Uh, there was a hard, hard reality to acknowledge and so, yeah, I, I, my wife, Beth, is an incredible actor, and I knew that I wanted to work with her. This movie was going to be in our life for, a long t- for at least three years. I wanted her to be a part of that. And, um, but that's also a risk, right? I mean, this is a marriage, you know, that uh, making independent, uh, independent filmmaking is not an easy task and one filled with much pressure, much weight. Um, and much temper. And that was a risk. Uh, it's not just my money. Um, that's a risk. And so I, I'm known for comedy. That's a risk. But, you know, I, I needed to be able to look at myself at the end when I'm slipping away and say, I did it. I at least did it. I didn't want to not have, I didn't want to have that regret. So, you know, if I leap and fall on my face, that's okay because uh, I'll be like, well, I swang for it, and I and I and I think it's great. I love where this movie is now. I I cannot wait um, for people to see this movie because it it's different. I, I think it's going to. Um, I hope take people for a ride. I hope people are going to be like, whoa! I, I didn't see this coming. How did they make it? Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I hope I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> putting too much of a dark cloud over um, that part of the process. Um, but it was part of it. And, uh, you know, it's great to kind of come out on the other end of that and say like, wow, 
I asked for this entire experience. I got it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, full circle. You got the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. What, when can we, when can I imagine you'll be doing festivals and things? But when can we? Yeah, right now we're we're close to a picture lock uh, now, and uh, the music is coming in and some visual effects. So um, you know we'll be I think done probably in uh, in March sometime at the latest, and we'll start going the festival uh, route. Um, and um, yeah, and, and then you know certainly on on social media, which I've been a bit slack on lately. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Be, I'll be jumping on there as well, promoting it. Amazing. That's yeah. very exciting. Well, let's put directing to bed because I want to talk about acting. Yeah. All right. Because life as an actor is a peculiar one and one that many listeners might not be able to associate with. But actors spend a lot of time, or particularly maybe early in their career, unemployed. Yes. How, how have you coped with unemployment mentally as an actor? Because obviously it's not, it hasn't, doesn't, hasn't happened for a while. But when you yeah. were younger, growing up, um, you know, in your early adult... Starting out. What was that like? Yeah, starting out. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there was a lot of drinking. Um, and so I realized that would not um, lead um, to very good places. And so I was... I wrote. I wrote a lot. Um, and I, I, I've always tried to make... Create work for myself. Um, and in the beginning... Um, I made sure that I always was trying to create something and not wait by the phone. Um, it was very difficult. Like you mm. in this business, it's hard not to compare yourself to others success and others rate of success. Um, it took a while for me to realize that, you know, there was my own timeline, you know, everyone uh, has their own path that they're going to have to, uh, take and need to be patient for it. And again, trust that it's there. Um, I, I think writing saved me. Um, my friends, um, you know, kind of talking about um, other, other ways to get, get this and get this creative energy out. Uh, and um, saw, watched a lot of movies. It was difficult. I, I took some, um, some acting classes for a bit. I uh, felt like I was, you know, staying uh, in tune. Um, but in the beginning, I, when it was tough, I tried to remind myself of what I had so far. Um, like if, it, like I was lucky with the state that was right out of college. So it, it was like a big bucket of cold water that was thrown on my face when the state ended and didn't realize you don't just get television shows right out of college, you know, this um, sounds very similar. Not, yeah. It, it, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, you know? And so, um, I had to trust the process, love the audition, love that I had, you know, this moment to kind of play, uh, and just keep, just keep believing in, in myself really. It's acting's hard. Acting, you really got to want to do it. You know, you really, right. you, you, you know, several times I'm like, well, I'm done. Uh, I, I'm, uh, there's something else I can do. And, and I couldn't think of anything <laughs> that, I re that would really make me happy. And I was like, well, I, I don't know what else to do. I think I was uh, like, I was thinking about a marine biologist maybe, or like, I like the outside, maybe be a forest ranger, but these are, these are crazy notions. These are things I would never jump into. And, and, um, not that there's anything wrong with either of those occupations, but I, it wasn't, you know, I knew I wouldn't be ultimately happy there. So yeah, for sure. Just get plugging. It's really interesting. Obviously I know the, the, the state was much bigger than the, what I experienced, but I, I feel in a similar way to you. Cause I was at university still mm. when I got slaughterhouse rules. And oh, I was okay. just like, Oh my, I'm, you know, I'm going to be acting alongside Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Michael Sheen. I'm like, this is mad. And then that finished sure. that credit. And I got another credit pretty quickly after. And then I left yeah. uni. And as you say, it's cold water to the face. And it's like, yeah. you're in the big bad world. And all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do because I wasn't landing anything. But then I had to remind right. myself, look what I have done. You know, I am not yeah. a failure. You're not a failure because you've already done right. some amazing things. Yeah, I, I, that's great that you reminded yourself of that. It's, um, and it, it's important. It's, it's easy to feel like you're going to get lost everyone has a fear of being 
uh, useless and invisible. And, and it's very easy at a young age to kind of get wrapped up in, in that nonsense. But it's not nonsense at, the, at that age. It feels very real. And so um, th- it, that's great that you were able to see that because, um, at, you know, after the state ended, uh, you know, I had to kind of remind myself, like, look, you were able to write and produce and direct mm. at 21 years old. Like, that's, uh, you know, that's something. And, and um, you know, and, and the lean years also really do build you up. Um, and and it, was a le- it was a lesson I needed to learn, to be quite honest. You know, it's just not um, the ego needed to be in check. Um, the ego always needs to be in check. still to this day, I I struggle with that too. But, uh, you know, as long, again, this gets back to friends too. Uh, If you have those friends that say, hey, hey man, take a look at this or hey, stop that or or, hey, yeah, way to go. Like that's just um, so important. Well, I think then let's talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine and then let's talk about ego Mm -hmm. in general as well and what fame does to somebody. Or indeed, yeah. talk about your experiences with it uh, and mentality. But it'd be rude not to talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, Let's I talk about it. this yeah. um, audition yeah. process, first of all, for it. Can you remember that? Yeah, I can. I, uh, well, this, this is also a lesson about ego. And I, I brushed on this, in, I think, in another podcast. But I'll say that, um, you know, at the time, I felt that I had, quote, proven myself as a comic actor. And I've... I've done this, this, and this, mm. and you know my work, and and so I there was a there was a lot of um, stubbornness and ego on my end. Um, after the first audition, I just wanted to kind of put myself on tape, and and that was enough. And um, you know I'm embarrassed to admit that, and um, but that was what happened. And so luckily, I had to kind of push past that entitlement and say like, hey, let's let's get in on this and be show up. You know, so much of it is just showing up. And um, and so I did. And thank God it, it changed my life. Um, and I met people that to this day are still dear friends of mine. Um, and I was part of a show that it's the largest thing I've ever been part of and has reached so many people all over the world um, in, in many different ways. Uh, yeah, I, I feel very blessed to have been part of that show. Um, the audition process was pretty standard. You know, I went on tape and then you go in and uh, have kind of a chemistry read with Andy. And Andy, I had I'd met before. I'd known Andy um, I, while well, I was in I Love You Man with Andy. And, mm. and we had mutual friends, of course. And so that was a that was a very fun audition. Um, there were several other great, great uh, uh, actors, uh, comic actors also um, auditioning there. And um it was all very supportive. I remember kind of in the waiting room, which is the worst. Everyone's kind of waiting to go in and do the thing. You know it, you get it. And, and, uh, luckily we we all knew each other and we kind of knew the game and we knew how it worked. And, um, it was like, you know, go get them. And, um, uh, I remember auditioning with, um, Stephanie Beatrice, uh, was the only other actor that I auditioned with because, uh, in those early shows, of course, Charles Boyle and Rosa, um, had a, had a through line there. And so they wanted that chemistry, um, and then, yeah, the, the rest was kind of history. We, the, we, we started off, um, really strong and just didn't look back. <laughs> I love that. The rest is history. I mean, it really is eight series down. And what I want to talk about then is that first series then like fleshing mm. out those characters, because that was, it, it wasn't tried and tested like it is now. And as you say, reached yeah. millions of people across the globe. What was that first series like? Did you did it feel to you like you you were on something special? Um, that's, a, that's a tough question because I, I did feel a connection with everyone pretty quickly, even from the first table read. So I knew that that was rare. That doesn't always happen to feel kind of comfort and safe pretty early on. Mm. Um, and positive. Everyone was very positive, uh, just naturally as people. Um, and so I knew that was special, but I didn't know if that would translate to popularity or, um, you know, a big audience, of course. So, uh, yeah, if, you know, so that first season, like any show, you're, you're figuring out 
the kinks and, and the rhythms, um, you know, with, with Charles and Rosa, I'm glad the writers kind of worked out what began as kind of a rather stocky, uncomfortable relationship between the two of them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm glad that 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 relationship ended up being a strong friendship between those two characters. Um, and so uh, likewise with the other relationships on the show, the writers found what was working um, and what wasn't. But the show always had, um, I felt like the first season, many of the episodes were a bit, uh, the pacing was a little bit, um, took its time a little bit more. As, as the show went on, I felt that it, it began to move at a quicker pace. There seemed sure. to be uh, more jokes. Um, and so that was one difference that I, I noticed between the early seasons and, and the later ones. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Now, Boyle, when you, the, the, the Boyle you play, you exhibit such generosity in such a character and a character that's taken for granted in the show. What makes, I don't know, what makes him so likable? What, what is it to you? What, what, what can you relate to him from yourself? Um, for myself, well, I, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I, I, yeah, I, if, yeah, well, I, there's a few things I think, you know, I like, I like to have a, a positive outlook towards most things. I certainly think Boyle has that Boyle is, um, a, a lot more resilient than I am. I, and maybe a little bit more, um, um, a little bit more naive, I suppose. Uh, but I also find that wonderful about him he just has this unadulterated affection to people and doesn't see that as a weakness um and and i mm. think that that's a big reason why people i feel relate to boyle like that wish to you know he gets knocked down and comes right back up and he doesn't hold grudges for too long um and he doesn't really have a filter, uh, and although it gets his foot, he puts his foot in his mouth often. It never comes from a malicious place. It's always just very much from his heart, and I think that's a, a, a you know, a big uh, that's an appealing trait for uh, to have, you know. How do you? How did you find getting into such a character? Because as we said, twenty-two minutes is not a lot of time, and often it is so fast going. But they have to exhibit precise characteristics of many of these characters yeah i have he has a lot of energy boyle and so do i and i think a, a lot of the eagerness that boyle has i think um i was able to kind of attach myself my restless nature to um and and uh and i think that was the first kind of hook in this kind of puppy dog mm. uh, energetic um supportive uh, character, you know, this personality that just was, was, was bouncing and, and wide eyed and, 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 and he was a ground a grinder. He's a, he's a good detective. He, he enjoys the work. He's not afraid to work. And so I, that I, um, relate to very much, um, uh, to Boyle, um, that, that work ethic and just wanting to just get at it, just like, just get down to it. Let's dig in and get after it, you know? Um, so I think it began there. I think I think the ener just the energy uh, and the eagerness of Boyle was my first kind of link into his character. Often when filming, there's often many, many jokes shared when the camera is not rolling. So I need to ask you, do you have any standout <laughs> memories from Brooklyn Nine-Nine kind of when you're not rolling? Because I know that I read somewhere that you did find cockroaches in your underwear. Now, I know that won't be a highlight. <laughs> it's not a highlight. That was, it was, a, we had an, yeah, we had a, an episode where, yeah, there was um, some bugs in the precinct and they ended up in Boyle's pants. <laughs> um, Who else? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Um, you know, we had a lot of, um, in the beginning, uh, we had some beef jerky tastings uh, off, uh, you know, off, off camera, of course, when that was, uh, we, um, we would sample beef jerky. Um, that was just like a fun, fun <laughs> little, little thing that I mean, we did. Uh, uh, yeah, we kind of laid them out and uh, we did blind taste tests. Everyone was in on that in the beginning. Um, that was kind of a fun little, little thing we did. Um, you know, a few of us went to Paris together. Um, really? That's not Don't really a joke, but Paris. Uh, well, it was after the first season. Um, uh, uh, let's see, myself and um, Stephanie and her boyfriend at the time, and Melissa and her husband, and 
oh. Chelsea and Jordan and uh, my wife Beth, and we all we all just hightailed it over. Andy wanted to come but couldn't that year, um, and so uh, that was a blast. You know, that's a perfect example. You know that I I don't know I, that normally doesn't happen. I don't think one season. Uh, or two seasons into a show, you're all traveling together. Uh, it's a testament to how much we enjoyed each other, custom, uh, each other's co- uh, company for sure. Um, but uh, that was always the case with the cast. There, we we were very easy with each other. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of just other kind of jokes offset. We just uh, was there any like practical jokes, as in any any pranking. Not really. We were no. pranksters. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't do a, uh, a lot of that. Um, it, it was mainly mainly things like like doing things together, like beef jerky taste tests, or or I think we did a hot sauce taste test once too. Oh, I'd have been you all know. over that. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, oh, that's good. Oh. Well, exactly as you say, with casts like that, it's so important. To, it almost feels like a family, doesn't it? And I feel like something that you definitely re- relate to. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, like I said, I mean, the, the collaboration um, factor is such a is so important and really comes into play when I choose to do a job now. Mm-hmm. And uh, life's too short, you know, especially you get older and you're like, where do I want to spend my time? You know, I like I, I like being home. I like being with my family. And, you know, if I'm going to work, who am I working with? You know, I have three questions I ask, you know, will I make money or will it be fun or does it scare me? And so I need a yes on one of those, you know, <laughs> <clears throat> rarely are, are all three answered, uh, answer with a yes. Um, you know, I try to kind of things I, I try to follow is uh, don't be a dick, make it about the work. Those are two big things and I and I. I try to choose people that are um, believe similarly or, or, or agree with that sentiment. You know, when I choose, choose jobs like that. Um, yeah. That's a really good point. When, when things become overwhelming then, particularly when the spotlight is on you, how do you cope with that? And how have you coped with ego and spotlight and fame? Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it. Uh, I, it was never why, but I also, but I also know it's part of the job. I don't, I, mm. I don't mean to sound sorry for myself. I'm not at all. I'm very lucky and I love what I do. And, and, um, to have the success that I have is I'm very, very grateful. Um, I, I handle it like this. Uh, it really, you know, these, these are people that, um, if, if fans come up and they're appreciating my work and I'm very thankful for that. Um, that, that part of the business is okay. Um, you know, I, I, the celebrity part, I, I'm not really. Um, and so I don't get too wrapped up in that, but when people come up and, and say that they really like the show, um, that's always great to hear. And I try to be kind. I try to be, um, polite and, um, if they are, and, and that's, that's how, that's how I approach it. Uh, I realize that, you know, even if I'm having a bad day that, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just part, it's part of the deal. Um, you know, uh, fame is, is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, it's very easy to start focusing on the wrong things with, with stuff like that, you know, how are um, you with your own mental health and how have you experienced mental health as a journey through your career? Have you always been quite in touch with it? Uh, generally, yeah, I struggle some, I struggle a lot with, um, self-doubt. I struggle a lot with, um, uh, you know, am I a fraud? Uh, am I really talented? Do, are people really, um, buying into this? I can't believe, wait, when are they going to find out? I don't have it. Um, that this is, this is, this is luck. So yeah, I, I struggle, I struggle with that from time to time. I think I have a handle on it. Um, now, nowadays, um, but, um, I meditate, you know, from time to time to try to keep that in check. Uh, but it's, it's, it's something that I'm aware I can slip into sometimes and I, I can get a bit, um, you know, self-destructive with, uh, with addictions, you know, um, I want I'm always careful of 
of, of drinking, um, because I know that that, that could be an issue. So, you know, the, these are, this, this is something that I've learned to, um, keep an eye on and have friends that I can turn to and say like, Hey, uh, I, I'm, I'm having a tough time, uh, right now. You know, this is what I'm thinking, you know, uh, can I talk to you for a bit? Um, it's in and out. I think in general, it's, it's nice to be in a place with, uh, a family that supports me and, um, and friends that support me. Absolutely. Now I know I am aware, and if you're happy to talk about it, that you started seeing a mm. therapist recently again. Now there's a massive mm. stigma behind this and people saying it's an admission of weakness or there's a guilt attached to it. Yeah. I, it's how, a shame. how do you feel it's, about that? No, I, well, I, I, I think it's a shame that there is a stigma attached to that. I, I think it, it takes much courage to ask for help. I have trouble doing it. You know, um, part of the character in Outpost uh, it has trouble asking for help, and that's what gets her into trouble. And, and so, you know, therapy and mental health is, I feel, is, is, is such an overlooked problem nowadays. Um, and, you know, anyone that has uh, the courage to say, I'm slipping, I, I need help should be applauded. Um, they're, they're, they're allowing themselves to contribute more to their life and, and, and the, the people that love them. Like it's, it, it's, I, I wish more people would do it. You know, um, it can, it, 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 it's helping, it's helping me for sure. You know, I think it's uh, definitely a massive thing. And so you t- said that you meditate. Are there any other things that you do to maintain your well-being? I know that your family is an immense source of happiness for you. It is. Um, they ground me um, uh, so much. My my son just gives me so much uh, joy just watching him. Um, one of the things I do is uh, I, go, I take hikes. I walk uh, a lot. Um, I find that. Um, I find that helpful just to think creatively as well, kind of thinking of ideas and working out stories. Um, but I, I exercise often, um, jump on the, jump on the rowing machine from time to time and, uh, and get a sweat going. Uh, but I think exercise is also, um, uh, very helpful for me to kind of focus my thoughts, uh, and stuff. Meditation, like you said, um, and, and also, you know, hanging out and talking to friends, mm. um, being as social as I can in, in these times where it's very difficult to, to do that. Um, you know, you need that extra effort, but, uh, for me, um, I need it. I've always, I've always functioned well, um, around people I need. I, I like being social. Um, isolation is difficult for me. Oh, we uh, need it. Yeah, we really do. So, um, you know, knock on wood. We'll, uh, we'll be getting on the other side of this 100%. eventually. Uh, on a you brief know. side note, you know, the first, the first time that I ever came to LA, the first thing I did, there was this guy showing me around called Wade Williams. He's an actor and he, he was in Prison mm. Break. He played Brad Bellick in Prison Break. Oh, okay. And he, he was just like, Louis, Louis, we got to go up to the Hollywood sign. Let's go. So my first thing was hiking up to the Hollywood sign. So in full <laughs> circle, next time I'm in LA... I need you to take me on a hike. Every actor I meet needs to take me on a hike. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Lewis, I'd love to. I'd love to do it. There we go. Um, Are you you here anytime soon? uh, I'm I'm just waiting for my invitation in the post, Joe. Uh, welcome here anytime no i remember <laughs> I, I uh actually one previous guest of the podcast did invite me out i just haven't managed to tie it in yet you know busy 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 we'll, but we'll sort it out 100 percent. absolutely absolutely um, something i need to talk to you about and yes this i is something that must have been the most incredible thing and i would love to have been a fly on the wall for it was your stag mm. do is what your stag do oh oh you uh <laughs> yes um your trip ireland. to ireland now right. this i need i do you know what? i actually need to know everything the details who was there how long was this and what antics uh, did you get up to wow well um this is this is this, uh, <laughs> this is quite rarefied air here i i was there in um 
in, in the spring of 2014 and we were on the West side. It was a, it was a group of us um, and uh, a few actor friends of mine um, and, and, and my dad who was celebrating his 70th birthday on that trip. And so it was super special. My brother as well um, came of course. And um, you know, we, we had, uh, we really, and this is the, God's honest truth. We really didn't get up to, it wasn't, there was any, nothing nefarious going on. Mm-hmm. We did a lot of drinking. Um, we were in Donegal for most of it, um, uh, most of the time, but we flew into um, Shannon and kind of went up the West side. I, I, you know, my, my mother's side of the family were Lynch and we we're from Cork and I'd been there before once before, but this time we stayed on the West side uh, and um, we played some golf. We drank a lot of Guinness we found a pub um, that had some musicians in there playing, and one of uh, one of uh, Peter Dinklage's brother um, is a is a musician, is a, is a fiddler, and he had a, a buddy of his um, with him who was also a, mu- a musician. And so you had these two incredible violin players joining in on these on these these Irish jigs with with these locals who were like, "What is going on?" And it was, it was just the, it was an incredible time. It was just filled with like, as you can imagine, laughter and music. And uh, we were meeting new people and um, there wasn't any of, again, back to fame. There wasn't any of that. I find, Mm -hmm. you know, the Irish wonderful that way and that they're not impressed with anything. You know, they don't, (laughs) and I mean that in a good way. Like they don't give a shit what you, what you've done. Who are you as a person? Can you, do you have a good sense of humor? Uh, can you do the crack, you know? And so uh, the good conversation, I mean, of course. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it was such a wonderful memory, um, that trip, that unfortunately, you know, uh, it's hard to get gigantic trips like that again nowadays. Um, but it was, uh, I was very lucky to have shared it with um, a group of people that um, were, were, were dear friends, dear friends of mine. Like, for instance, uh, Bobby Cannavale, I've known since I was, 15 he was in one of the earlier horror movies that i was doing uh at a young age because uh, we both um he's from jersey but we both grew up in florida and so again getting back to how finding your peeps at an early age and having them go through your life in these wonderful personal times um celebrations like your wedding as well as these creative um explosions that you have in your films or writing um to have them kind of straddle both of those important parts of my life it's um uh, Truly special. It sounds like an incredibly wholesome experience, and that's that's incredible, genuinely incredible. Yeah, yeah, it it was, it was. Yeah. So, two final questions. Then the first one being, do you think you'll ever release any of those original horror films? That- <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, man. I, I mean, they're so bad. I mean, they're so <laughs> like so, you know, I could make, I'll throw them up on YouTube or something if I could find them. Uh, they're around if they haven't, if the VHS tapes haven't degraded at this point. Um, I don't know if I ever uh, transferred them to digital. So that's uh, that's a maybe. Uh, that's a maybe for sure. <laughs> that would be another lockdown project, probably. Uh, it would. It would indeed. Yeah. Indeed. And then my final question, and one I ask every guest: What does the word headstrong mean to you? I think headstrong um, for me means a, a person that kind of knows the the dark parts and the bright parts of uh, of yourself, and is able to kind of harness both in a way that is um, impactful on uh, on your life and on your output. Uh, it's uh, it's confidence. Um, it's it's a force of will, uh, and it's it's also being honest with um it's mostly being honest with yourself and being okay with whatever truth you you discover in that um that's that's headstrong to me you know put your (laughs) put your head down and 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 keep moving amazing Uh, keep moving forward yeah Thank you, Joe. That was really nice. Um, I've really enjoyed this, Joe. It's lovely to have chatted. I really yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, my pleasure, truly. And thank you for having me. And uh, um, I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. And uh, come, out, come out anytime. We'll go on a great hike. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. 
A massive, massive thank you to Joe for joining me on the podcast and for being so open and honest and discussing the outpost, which I'm incredibly excited to see. Thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Please do rate the podcast, subscribe it and pass it along to other people who may well enjoy it. Join me next week for another episode of the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.